On this episode of Resi Week, we talk about Google throwing the kill switch on a little home automation hub called Revolve, the rise of voice control for home automation, plus OLEDs hit $1 billion. All that and more next on Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 11, recorded Monday, April 11th, 2016. Revoking Revolve. Resi Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Cedia. This is Resi Week, the weekly look at the residential home market for the audiovisual industry. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to talk about said thing is, first and foremost, Mr. Frank White. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks, Jim. Uh, also with us is my buddy, pal, and brother, Mr. Richard Fregosa. Hello, sir. Mellow West Coast greetings. So. You can't Good say that. Everybody. Frank's here from West Coast, too. Oh, okay. Well, Mellow Northern California. There we go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> There's, there's a slight difference. There is a slight, yes, between L.A. and San Francisco. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, and last but not least, give him a warm welcome. Not only is he new to this program and this network, he also has a brand new job. His name is John Clancy, Vice President of Residential uh, Systems for Crestron Electronics. Hello, sir. Hey, Tim. How you doing? Doing well, sir. Doing well. Congratulations on the new gig. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You've been there three days? Four days? It uh, feels like that in some ways, but three years in other ways. But uh, officially three weeks and one day now. There we are. <laughs> Break you in really well. Um, okay, so here's the first story here we're going to do. And I, I got a bunch of emails last week. Um, one from actually our, our uh, AV Nation's webmaster, Mr. Bradford Ben, who said, you have to do this story. You have to do this story. So, okay, I'm doing this story. So apparently... Uh, Google bought a company called Revolve uh, about a year, year and a half ago. And um, Revolve is a home automation hub, if you're not familiar with them. It's a cool little product. Uh, integrates with your smartphone, does some really cool things. And oh yeah, by the way, Google's going to kill it. Now, <laughs> that's not the story. The story is how they're doing it. <laughs> um, so they're reaching into your Revolve and they're going to kill it. By May 15th. Now, Rich, we're going to start with you on this. First of all, should they be doing this? And secondly, what does this do to the IoT movement that, yes, Google, Google can come along or Microsoft or whoever, whatever big company can come along and buy your really cool product that you think is so neat and nifty? And then, you know, they'll buy them for a billion dollars and say, decide that it doesn't fit in their in their market or fit in their ecosystem and then kill the thing that you've lived with for so long. Uh, hey, first off, is it wrong? Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, is the user base that purchased Revolve products and was actively using it a large user base? No. So from a, a news story standpoint, um, it's not going to get as much attention as it should. 
more to the point, though, it's not the first time that it's happened in this industry. I mean, Logitech bought a company called Slim Devices a couple of years ago. Great product, did wonderful MP3 streaming, had a wonderful um, user community who did some fantastic stuff way ahead of its time. Logitech killed it. Um, Cisco, you know, look at the camera company that it bought a couple of years ago and then just decided, yeah, that's not working for us either as well. Killed it. Um, you know, these, these companies, you know, are they within their right? Yeah, I mean, it's their property. Um, ethically, you know, I mean, if a corporation can have ethics, I, I mean, definitely that was like the, the Sith move, you know, in, in, you know, interjecting four other letters for the four letters that I want to put in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, they were, you know, if a corporation could be a D-bag, they would be a D-bag about that one. Um, it... it if it was a larger scale product, um, I think definitely it would cause an erosion in consumer confidence. Um, and more than anything else, it's setting a precedent. You know, these companies are going to come in, potentially find all of these other little companies, bring them in. And I, and I think the reason why they originally said they bought the company was for the team. You know, the, the, the product just kind of came along with it. Um, and... You know, I mean, it's sad. It's sad to see it happen. I, I'm not surprised, um, and it's not going to be the last time that we're going to see an acquisition and then have them shut something down like that. An acquisition and then a kill, basically. Yep. All right, Frank. Same question to you. What does this do um, for the for the IoT environment, the IoT business? Well, there's there's several aspects here. As first is, uh, you know, the user audience is obviously going to feel abused on this, um, and. Uh, it was going to probably feel that way one way or the other at the end of every single street that we could go down. But the real thing is, is what is our, what is our industry doing to script a response to keep the IOT energy out there rather than to basically bloodily crucify it in front of everybody. Right. And there's going to be a lot of fits and starts. There's going to be a lot of startups that get, uh, that get a lot of momentum. You know, if you look at the stuff that's in the general press, you know, virtual reality and VR headsets are obviously, you know, really, really hot in that in that industry, but it doesn't mean that the uh, the integrator the integrator still got to look the buyer in the eye and move them into a, either a new position. But what you don't want to do is just alienate our relationship as an industry with that buyer. And I think very, we're very very few of us are really prepared to script that properly. What we want to do is just to throw gasoline on the pissed off factor that we have about it, right? What's the script that you, we could use then to move them from the position they are and that that would have something, you know, some kind of derivative of, hey, unfortunately, this is the reality of, uh, of using technology that is changing so rapidly that a company ends up getting the attention of somebody with really deep pockets, gets absorbed, the deep pocket company then gets into that arena and all of a sudden it's not, as, it's not the low-hanging fruit they thought it was. It's hard work. There's a lot of risk. It's, it takes an investment in a relationship with the channel that, frankly, Google's not used to, yeah. or a lot of these guys aren't used to. And, and uh, if you look at the, the, the people you have on your panel yourself, Tim, is that we are pretty needy when it comes to our suppliers. We have pretty rigid demands that we put them through. And, and thank God we have suppliers that are willing to invest in us, right? But when you look at these really big companies that have a huge direct process, they don't understand the cost and the and the emotional and the intellectual investment it takes. And they, 
they kind of belittle it until they get into it. And they're like, whoa, these guys have real engineering chops and they are really holding our PA. And if there's a glitch in our software, they're, they're going to really hold it in front of us in a blatant way. And we do that. All right. So, Frank, let me ask you this, because you, you, you brought up that, that, that well, the, the, the kind of growing pains that a, a big company will, will go through. How do you think that, that Google has done it with Nest? Because they, they have done it successfully they have. once, right? Right. So how'd they do it? If I, uh, well, my first question is, is that I highly suspect that the vast majority of Nest products are being purchased by end users, okay. not by integrators. And so what, that, then, uh, you know, then the business starts kicking in. You start asking, okay, so what percentage of revenue are we? And if we're significant, why don't they have a better, why don't they have a better and move-up product that we could then do engineering with? And so I don't know, you know, we, the last time we, you know, I was with you on this program, we were talking about, you know, people had broken the, uh, you know, the, the Apple TV product and, and it was the same way as that, you know, it's just that we buy a lot of them, but I don't think that we represent a significant portion of the business on that. So it's more the, the fact that the end users are actually the, the consumers, the, they're dragging us into it. Right. Yeah. All right, John, uh, uh, what, what do you think about the whole IOT? What does this do for, for the IOT community, the IOT, uh, channel? So, so I mean, uh, before I started at Crestron, I was an integrator, uh, residentially focused for 23 years, and I think over the last few years, the biggest, the biggest concern we had over IoT was the, the amount of confusion that it created. You know, every every new product, every new system, kind of added to the confusion from the perspective of the end user or the person who's thinking they might want to delve into this. And I think that there are two sides to that. There's the do-it-yourself side, and there's the professionally installed side. And I think a lot of integrators, uh, you know. Think will be turned off a little bit by this, and and less susceptible to the delving into some of these IoT products, which may may or may not suit their business, their businesses moving forward. Uh, and I think that the focus, you know, going towards the integrated uh, solution and, and building towards the infrastructure, uh, is still been the focus and, and will be the focus for for the, at least the short term. All right, very good. Uh, all right. Uh, the next story we have up is all about voice control, and actually, this is a uh, a, 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 a article and a topic that came up a couple of weeks ago on on Resi Week. Uh, this is our, by our friend Heather Sidorowitz on residential systems. Uh, she's talking about Alexa, uh, which is uh, Amazon Echo's uh, product, and she got one about six weeks ago. And what what she goes into is is what makes uh, Alexa different than Siri or, or some other ones. And, and Frank, we're going to start with you on this. But I, I want to read this quote real quick. What makes Alexa different than Siri, quote unquote, and other voice control is that she is always there waiting and she isn't hiding in my pocket or my purse. Is this what we need for, to, for, for voice control to get into the home? Is this what we need for voice control to possibly take over or or do we think that that voice control will probably never fully take over in home automation and home control and it'll just be one of those add-ons that we kind of get to to you know wow our clients and wow the the folks who want the next best best greatest thing uh it's it's a great question and i did read that whole article by heather i was pretty impressed actually with it um I view this as kind of a second or third generation product that's going to have a whole bunch of fits and starts in the arena. And I think that it's a credible, it's a credible, credible third gen kind of a process. When Siri first came out, I was immensely intrigued by it and I use it all the time now. But I look at my kids and they don't, they don't do voice to text very much. 
where I do it all the time. Yeah. And I, I think that because they've mastered the art of texting very, very quickly and they can see it better than I can. I mean, you know, I'm 60 plus years old and, and I deal with that. But um, I, I think it's a credible next step. I think that uh, improperly managed, it could be extremely invasive. I'm really worried about what the backend uh, data management and the data capture is going to be on it. But all of that, I'm sure, is going to be worked out. Um, you know, it's just that how much of your voice conversations does it catch? And the, the, I guess the real question on the back end of it is for integrators, how much could they catch? And the fact is they could catch it all. So what does that, what does that mean? On, so that's one facet on, on the dark side of it. The other one is, is the, uh, the ability to uh, articulate uh, to text and then to process data based on, you know, weird, you know, weird accents and, uh, and lazy you know, lazy drawling tongues in different parts of the country, and then being able to stimulate that into action is immensely intriguing, and it has the ability to really move that, really move that forward, and to be able to do much more sophisticated things. And if you look in the retail and on the B two B side, you know, California just passed this legislation where where it's going to go to, you know, there's going to be a minimum wage of fifteen dollars, and now that's that's mandated, right? Well, that's going to open up an enormous amount of business for automation companies then to go and to take what was mundane processes and, and labor before and to be able to move that into an automated position. And so I, I think we're just really, really cracking the first couple of pages of the first chapter of what's going to be a really interesting ride here. You made a very good point and one that I hadn't thought of, and that is not just the data collection because, you know, it's Amazon and Amazon to be honest, they've got they, a lot. They have yeah. a lot. You know, they they probably have they've as got much huge capacity. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you and know, every city's got petabytes of capacity, right? Yeah, it's it's huge. Yeah, but the the always on part, <laughs> the the uh, the not I'm not say evil. Amazon, I I don't know Amazon's evil or not. Well, but... for every for everything that's captured, there could be some evil in it. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, there certainly could be. And so look at it. Just because just because you have a closed door and you trust everybody in your neighborhood, you still probably lock the back door when you leave. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I can also see a, a you know legislation coming out where anybody that has top top clearance, top level clearance, uh, top secret clearance can't have a a voice control device. Uh, right. If you know if if the Congress people ever figure out that there's a thing called internet and all this jazz, so they won't though. Uh, that yeah, <laughs> the next twenty years. Yeah, 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 twenty twenty years they'll pass they'll pass legislation you know making outlawing um, I don't know the first gen iPod. Um, Mr. Clancy, from your standpoint, um, are we, uh, are we headed towards, uh, towards voice control for the entire home? Um, I, I believe it's definitely on its way. I mean, um, again, before I joined Crestron, I was an integrator and we did dabble with it to some respect. We had, uh, in fact, Crestron's remote control, the TSR 302 has some voice capabilities that we did play with. It's not an always-on solution. It requires a button press, so it kind of uh, it wasn't really as intuitive, and we weren't really thrilled, so we didn't push it that hard. But I do believe integration to a device like Echo, outside of the security and privacy issues, um, can and will open open doors to to integration in the home that um, I think will be widely uh, embraced by by the end user, uh, both for convenience perspective as well as just the ease of use. Um, you know. Yeah, the kitchen scenario is a perfect example. In the article, it talks about uh, she talks about the uh, the adding to lists when when things run out. Uh, you know, I have an Echo at home, and and, uh, 
and that's probably the most uh, common uh, reason we use it for, uh, just to, to generate lists. Now, you know, again, the security and privacy issues are potentially big concerns. All right, Uncle Richie. Uh, from your standpoint, you know, um, getting around and, and, and not not having to deal with, with touch panels and, and the interface uh, uh, changes at, at, the, at the 11th hour, is, is that something where we're headed? Or are we always going to have a touch panel? It, so a couple of weeks ago when I was on this, I, w I wasn't really sure about this, the, the, the echo and the movement. And I am tentatively prepared to reverse my stance on that. Okay. Uh, and the reason being is, I mean, Heather's article was spot on, and, and, and really what it drew more to the fact for me was I, I've got a five-year-old son. And uh, not only do I have a five-year-old son, but, you know, I do know people who have disabilities. I do know people who have limited motion. I do know people who aren't necessarily able to interact in the point-and-click or reach over to a touch panel and, and, and use an option. Now, prior to what Amazon is doing, and, and, and I, I think what's starting to change my mind is the speed that Amazon is starting to push Echo out. This is, right now for me, it's unprecedented. Uh, they just, uh, uh, you know, I mean, they, the, the additions that they're making to the Alexa skills kit, um, you know, and, and saying, you know what, we're, we're going to be a bridge. Um, Lutron, just what, four days ago, announced that they're, they're uh, working on their, their interface kit. So they, they are opening it up, and Amazon is saying, you know what, this is our device, but we're the gateway device. You know, I mean, really, all we care about is for you to go, Alexa, turn on the lights. Oh, that light bulb went out. Gee, Alexa, go ahead and order me four, you know, four LED, four LED bulbs. And you know, this just happened in my washing machine, and order me time. I mean, it's it is going to support their consumption model, and and. When a five-year-old can walk in and who can't read or who's very limited reading skills and says, "Alexa, I want Disney," um, although it's not there yet, um, you know, I mean, right now, I the reason why I'm still not quite there is that the the skills kit still has has you playing. Um, when we were kids, there was that game telephone where you yes. had to, you know, tell it to somebody and pass it down. And you know, right now it's like, "Alexa, tell X Y Z to turn on the lights." Alexa, tell X Y Z to play the music, you know, I mean, you know, it, it feels like, Alexa, you know, tell this guy over here to turn the TV on and make sure that you tell that guy over there to do this. So, you know, the, the common language set isn't there, but they are, because it is an always-on device, the ability for them to access that information, and like Frank was talking about, I mean, just, just the linguistics and the psycholinguistics that go along with it and the algorithm. I mean, this is a huge undertaking. You know, to be able to try to—I mean, it's that—it's that true Rosetta Stone, taking common language and being able to use that into a command set. Um, and from the looks of it, I mean, it doesn't look like Amazon's looking to to bear down. And I—I I, I would think, you know, the more I thought about it, that might be a reason why Google killed Revolve or these other companies, so that they can hone in on saying, "Hey, Amazon's here to play," and we—they're—they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're feeling the heat. You know, although they won't necessarily say it, yeah. they're starting to feel the heat. Well, you, you make up. You, you brought up a really good point with with Rosetta Stone. Um, both there's a couple different apps right now, and, and and they're they're very rudimentary. So don't go out and download them and think they're they're the greatest thing because they're not. But but they're basic that are using technologies like Echo, like 
Google Translate and, and Google Voice and Siri to translate from English to Spanish, from Spanish to Russian and things of that nature. And that's one of those things that something like this could actually help uh, second language speakers, third language speakers, folks who are Im- immigrating from one country to another, regardless of, of what direction you're headed, and learn another language while also you know trying to, to help you you know, get get milk um, uh, the next time you go to the store. So I saw Tim. I saw a uh, YouTube this morning that IBM had pushed, and it was uh, a Japanese CEO that was speaking in very very uh, accented English, and the voice that translated it. First of all, it was instant, and it was perfect. But then it took English and translated it to his dialect of Spanish or of Japanese in in no time and the objective was is that you don't have to learn how to speak a language you'll be able to speak them all yeah. that has a huge implication across cultures oh my gosh yeah yeah and it was just it was remarkable to see how fast it was able to either voice translate it so you heard it audibly or text yeah one of the things that that kind of um i'm going to digress for one second here and we'll get back to this av nation is is obviously available wherever you have an internet connection um, our biggest audience is North America. That's you know that's where we're from. It's it's how we speak. That's, that's the markets we cover. But I'm still struck by the different places that we get downloads from. And I look at, at shows like ISE, uh, Integrated Systems Europe, and we meet a lot of folks who are you know English is not their first language. And we've we've we we've reached out and and talked with a number of folks about doing non English versions of this program of AV Week and some of our others. And and sometimes it, it's it, they've they've always stalled out at at that whole translation between talking with a native speaker of you know Chinese let let's say um, and and me because I don't speak Chinese so that's right. stuff like this is very exciting from from and all you've got the, ma- the Mandarin and the Cantonese and the several oh my gosh yeah right and and IBM has got they say they're rolling us out I, I think it was like twelve or fifteen different different big languages right i mean it was amazing how fast that was and so essentially you would be able to do this back and forth between two people that did not traditionally do not traditionally speak each other's languages and to be be able to get the intonation and the intent of that so you might look at that you know absolutely yeah that's very cool as as the iot guys would say google it you know and see how it works yeah yeah all right uh last story here and then i'll let you guys get on your on your way for your monday um John, just so you know, in case you haven't watched the show before, I love OLED, okay? I'm a very big fan of it. I am very bearish on it. I'm waiting for the day that that it will come down in price and I don't have to spend $30,000 for it. So, here's our story from HDTV Magazine. One billion, with a B, dollars worth of OLED sets were sold last year, seven times the sales in 2014. What does this mean for this market? Or is this just a crazy puff piece that something wants to pop, prop up somebody's stock market options? Well, I mean, we, we've been teased with OLED for years at, uh, at CES. Um, and, and it's always been the, uh, the holy grail, or at least it has been in the, in the past few years, uh, when it comes to large displays, flexible displays, eventually... Uh, 
contrast level that uh, is unparalleled uh, uh, and, and, and color depth that is equally unparalleled. And some of the uh, demonstrations, at least at this past year's CES show, uh, by LG in particular, were, were dramatic. Um, um, and, and I think that it's starting to finally take off. I think their ability to manufacture these panels in, in the quantities that are, that are required and the sizes that people want uh, are really, really beginning to push this you know, into, into, the, into the real world for now. Rich, he, he hit on all the points why I love this technology. It reminds me, it's the closest thing to plasma that I've seen since plasma has unceremoniously died. Um, what does this mean for, for the OLED market? You know, I think the, the, mar the, the, article, the article takes a little bit of creative license with where OLED production is actually going. Okay. OLED production is for mobile. And I will come back to this. Again, again, again. You realize I'm again. recording this, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. And the numbers that they're using in here are a bit of an extrapolation from the fact that, I mean, you know, Foxconn and Sharp, they're ramping up their production facilities for the next wave of mobile devices that are coming out that are going to become OLED. That's where it's going to start. And then what will happen is as as it happened with LCD, as it happened with LED, as it happened with all the other emerging technologies. Once they reach critical mass with mobile, you will see the gains throughout. Now, and again, the OLED sets, yeah, you can spend $10,000 on it, you can spend $15,000 on it. The average consumer, it's not gonna get that penetration in there. The article that's here, you know, they're enthusiasts and they're saying, we're gonna get it. We're finally gonna get it, you know, and, 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 and that's great. But that's not how the large majority of the Earth's population works. You know, viewership, um, consumption of large screen displays is down, and it will continue to go down um, for that reason. And it's 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 that generational shift. I mean, will it always be a a a, a revenue stream? Yes, um, but is it a growing segment? No. Um, and what will happen is, is once they get it and they start building 13-inch tablets and 15-inch tablets, and those start growing, they'll be able to ramp up their production facility to be able to say, hey, look, we made a 75-inch OLED panel. We can get 16 tablets out of this thing. You know, that's where it's going to come from. That's what happened, you know, and again, the, the where, you know, when we got the 100-inch display, you know, the original plasmas. Yeah. Why did 42-inch plasmas come down? Because you could fit four of them in that piece of glass because the imperfections went down. So it's it's a trickle-down effect, and it'll be great. Um, and again, I you know, I mean, the, the things that we can do with HDR right now and the other technologies that are coming up, you know, it's it's it, it's great. But, you know, in terms of early adopters, you know, it'll, it'll be nice, but, I mean, you're still going to be paying a premium for it. You know, you're going to see a whole lot more within, you know, on your, you know, on your iPhone 9 than you are in, you know, Samsung's new television that comes out. You know what? I, I I will take that and run with it because what you're saying, what I'm hearing at least, is that I have a better chance, a sooner chance of getting one in a laptop, let's say, which are gonna it's gonna bring down the price, it's gonna bring down the power consumption of that, it's gonna bring down the weight uh, of a laptop. I I will take an OLED an OLED laptop and 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 count myself lucky or tablet. So, all right, Frank. Last word on this. Uh, what does this mean for 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 the OLED OLED market? Well, first of all, it's just the uh, like the benefits that uh, that my colleagues have talked about here is just that it's got a great picture um, in all of the measurable ways. But the the advantage we haven't talked about is is it's very low mass. 
right? They can make them thin. They can make them very, very light. And uh, I don't know what the, the manufacturing uh, yield is, and I don't know what the manufacturing cost is, but they'll figure that out, right? And as that comes down, um, that will impact that will impact you know the markets from the large displays down to your handheld devices and stuff. Um, I'm really excited about the low mass because that gives you the ability to wrap it into different form factors that uh, that we as an industry haven't had before, and then that could play into the rest of the stuff that we talked about today. Of, is having it, uh, you know, potentially, you know, in just really, you know, unrelated products, and to be able to really complement, uh, you know, kind of a technology upgrade in life, right? So that's good. Yeah, absolutely. What, one yeah. of the things, and, and I could be totally crazy on this, just so you know, I'm actually looking forward to a, a projector screen manufacturer partnering with them and, and bringing me an electric screen that just comes down, and then there's your there's your OLED display. So. I could be wrong. Well, I just, okay, just even just digital signage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Digital, digital signage is total. Yeah. yeah. And there are some folks that are still do, that are already doing OLED uh, with digital signage. Um, London's uh, London's version of Times Square, Times Square itself. Uh, you know, there's a lot of folks who are, who are already doing it. But in the home or in, in the in the education space, I'm I'm still kind of looking for it. So, all right, gentlemen, thank you so much, Mr. Frank White. Thank you, sir. Thank you. How do people uh, find you? Get a hold of you? stalk you if they want yeah you can uh, find me at frank at stay tuned in dot com simple enough uh john thank you so much sir oh my pleasure my pleasure how do people find you and or crestron uh crestron.com or and jay clancy at crestron.com jay clancy there uh mr fergoza thank you bub always always happy to hear you here brother uh let's see oh man i didn't put my lower third up oh wow look okay well i will have to translate for those not viewing um you can find me on the twitters uh at bar fregosa also find me at fregosa design uh the pro electronic house dot 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 sometimes type in my name and cool pictures yep absolutely uh, all right. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't follow me, uh, but go by the website. Lots of really cool people have spent an awful lot of hard work on it. So avnation.tv. avnation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others. I, I may or may not have mentioned uh, we have a, a commercial version of this show called AV Week. We do that one on Fridays. Uh, we also have a number of other shows. We have a, a new education-focused show coming out called EdTech, that, uh, the new one post for that this week. Uh, also, a new um, State of Control, which is our control automation show, typically with Mr. Fergoza as well, uh, and a new um, AV social coming out. Also, uh, this week, uh, we're headed to Crestron Masters, actually. Uh, very well. Maybe we'll see John over there. So we'll be doing a, a show, our, our state of control from there. So, uh, But yeah, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been Rosie Week.